0: You're listening to episode 61. This is Grace on Fire.
1: Join your virtual pastor as he offers insight and inspiration into topics we all face. Be empowered. Gain confidence with God's grace so you can face life's most challenging problems. When you integrate faith in every aspect of your life, you can live an extraordinary one for a higher purpose. And now, here's your
0: host, Dr. Jonathan G. Smith. And what's up, Grace Nation, and welcome to the show. My name is the Reverend Dr. Jonathan G. Smith, your virtual pastor. And my goal is to help you craft your life for a higher purpose. And on today's show, my friends, I'm talking about two very important issues, and that is what should be a top priority for every dad that is— well, actually, it's going to be a top priority for everybody, but I'm talking to dad today. And um, second of all, we're going to be talking about how to leverage summertime— for personal growth. Personal growth, my friends, is one of the most important things. Is particularly I find that personal growth, as you get older, it really begins to wane. And um, you know, you you've you've got to stay on top of that. No matter what you're doing, what you're learning, how you're so we're gonna be talking a little bit about personal growth. Uh, towards the end of the show, we're gonna be doing some dad life stuff. Two topics that I'm personally passionate about. So let me ask you a question today. What are you thinking about this summer? I mean, are you thinking at all? Are, are, are you one of those folks that when it hits the summertime, you just happen to check out? You're like, hey, it's summertime and uh, I'm slowing down. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes, sometimes we just do that. And sometimes we need to do that. I think that's true because really the first half of the year, particularly when you're working in corporate worlds or you're working for businesses, uh, if you're in business of some sort... The first half of the year, and I'm talking about January 1 all the way to about, well, let's say about May 28th, May 20th, maybe the mid part of June, etc. That first half of the year usually is really geared towards accomplishing projects, uh, hitting goals, hitting metrics, producing, manufacturing, whatever it is that you do. And that's because the way that our tax system works, the way that everything works it, it builds upon itself financially. So if you don't do well in the first half of the year, chances are you won't do great in the, last, in the last half of the year. So you're so busy in the first half of the year. And so then you get to summertime and now you're in the summer and you're probably exhausted, the kids are afraid, it's hot. It, you know you're, you're taking vacations, you're trying to settle out on a beach. Uh, if you did a job transition like something that we did in my family this year, you're still trying to deal and grapple with that transition. And so summertime can really be the pivot point in the mid part of the year where you're you're not ready to give the energy for this, the latter half of the year because you look towards the latter half of the year and you think school is going to be starting back. Then you have all the holiday seasons that really kicks off around October and then plows through to the end of December. And so that can be a really basically um, that can be a really challenging time as well. And so the question that I have for you is: How do we leverage summertime? How do we leverage summertime for you? Because I think that sometimes that if there's anything that we miss out on, we miss out on this opportunity during the summer to stop, slow down, reflect, and just give our brains a chance to catch up with our lives. And so today I want to talk to you a little bit about how to leverage summertime for personal growth and to really use the summer times as bookends, almost like brackets of activity. Let me let me just let me just talk to you a little bit about what I'm saying here, okay? So this is my idea. And I I I I stumbled on this pattern early on in my life as an adult. And I think it's because I spent so much time just in school. So if you think about an academic calendar for just a moment, an academic calendar generally starts um, in the fall and then it goes all the way through to the end of the spring. And during that summertime, that's usually when um, things are slowing down, the school is let out, etc. Except now we have summer school and we just send kids to school all the time, but that's something totally separate. So if you think about it, we, we grow up and we're raised in this kind of environment where summer times really serve as bookend. So if you look from one summer to the next summer and you use that as your annual year, what you discover, I think, is that you get to that point where you can begin to realize that your actual period of time that you need to be measuring isn't so much January to January. I think you should measure from June 30th to June 30th. And that you should look at that as your annual year. And the reason why is because what that allows you to do is it allows you to take advantage of the natural cycles in your lives, the natural time periods where you're slowing down or you're ramping up. And I, I'm talking about this principally, and you'll, you, I'm just gonna go ahead and give you a head start on this. I'm talking about this in principally and talk about goal setting and one of the reasons why I think that New Year goals are, are absolutely ludicrous, I hate New Year goals. Um, and I'm going to go into the reasoning and details on that. But that's kind of what I'm thinking about today, et cetera. Also, I'm going to be talking to you about doing a dad life segment here and um, talking about, you know, dads, what is the best thing that you can do for your kids? And I have just been recently, and I continue to be mesmerized by this, but I, I, I am just so convinced of something that I want to share with you today. And so I'm going to get to that in a little in a little bit. And then also I want to give you a tip of the week. I've really come across a great resource uh, just last week and um, I, I'm just tearing this thing up. And so I want to talk to you about a book that I've uh, stumbled on. You know me, I'm always giving out books, etc. And you could build a whole library on this. But hey, why not? One of the most important things that you can develop is your library. In fact, Jim Rome, who was a uh, big time personal development coach slash guru, etc. of the 20th century. He was really into multi-level marketing, but I heard a presentation by him one time that I I was fascinated by. And He said the most important thing you can develop is your library. And so these are just tools and resources to add to your library. uh, But I think you're going to like this one because it's a tool that you can use every single day. So we're going to talk about that uh, as we get into the show on Grace on Fire. You know, what do you do as a dad? I mean, what is the most important thing you can do? I mean, dads and moms, but, you know, what is it that you can do? Is it going to love your kids? Don't spoil them, spoil them. You know, beat your kids, don't beat your kids. I mean, there's so much advice out there. What do you do? Well, I want to kind of pick through all that stuff today and to give you something that's going to last for the rest of your life. What is the most important thing? that you can do for your kids, and the answer is that you can pray for your kids. Now, you know, listen, there's something that I want to just tell you a little bit about, okay? And this is kind of a personal confession for me. I am an insecure parent. I just am. I'm an insecure parent. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel massively insecure in terms of raising my kids because I recognize the cruelty of the world, the difficulties that the world presents and then I think about these young children and sending them out into the world, and I and I'm a perfectionist, and so I want to make sure I do things right. I'm a pastor, so I'm I'm praying to God that they will at least buy into the gospel that I preach, and um and that one day that they will you know pass on this legacy of faith. And the truth of the matter is, is you know a lot of times, a lot of times I'm just really really insecure about that. And you know why I'm insecure about that? Let me tell you why because i hear all the stories about pastors kids and i and i and i know that there's pastors out there whose children have actually abandoned the faith and it's hard i mean that's a personal thing and it, and i struggle with that insecurity and um but i'm a broken person and and i and i readily admit how broken i really am and the more and the older i get um the more broken i realize i am and and there's a principle that i've just decided to rest on and this is it you know broken people raise broken people it's true think about that for a moment broken people raise broken people you know as I think about folks and in, in, in the ghetto uh, a lot of times inner city ghettos you'll have people that say they can never break out of the ghetto because they have a ghetto mindset etc and I and I've used the word ghetto uh, on my show here to apply for thinking and for other kind of um, processes that trap us but But the fact of the matter is, is that we raise our kids with a certain set of principles, a certain set of behaviors, patterns, and our kids pick that stuff up from us and then they bring that with them to the next generation. And then if they have kids, they probably pass that down, too. That's why you can have uh, kids who are in abusive situations become abusers and they pass this brokenness on. That's why alcoholism can be a generational issue. And if you look at your family and you look around at all the things that are happening inside your family and you pause for just a moment, you might realize that, golly, there's some brokenness in my screwed up family. And if you're very honest with yourself, you may realize that you're just passing that on to your kids. And I think that that's something that's so difficult. And so I have to, you have to remember the principle of, that broken people raise broken people. That's why when you look at kids who are you know, misbehaving in school or doing stuff, um, you know, just look at their parents. Look at their parents. That's the first thing that I do is I want to go back to the parents and say that's a parenting issue. You have a kid that's misbehaving, being disrespectful to a teacher. That's not the kid's fault. That's the parent's fault. And the parents might say, I'm doing everything I can. I'm saying, where did he pick up this disrespect? And so I think there's sometimes that we have just to be very, very honest and confrontational with ourselves to realize broken people raise broken people. Now, I want to pause for just a moment because there are situations within children, particularly when they have disabilities, where they didn't you didn't pass on the problems to them. There may be a genetic deficiency that's causing lots of problems. And I've gosh, I've I've counseled and I've run into parents in my life and I hear their stories of the challenges that they've had with their kids and the health problems and the related behavioral problems that generally accompany health problems. And these parents, you know, you're just, you're just pulled apart. And I want to suggest something to you that what I'm going to share with you today on why prayer is so important is because it's powerful. And yet at the same time, it's something that's grossly underestimated. And I think it's because when we pray, we think, that God needs to answer our prayers exactly the way that we pray. And sometimes what I find in my life is that God actually changes my prayers as the situation evolves. And it's therefore more about my own personal growth and spiritual growth and less than getting my prayer answered. But prayer, nonetheless, is something that I think is fundamentally principle uh, or is a fundamental principle of things that we have to have, particularly as Christians. Um, And let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, Earlier this year, Ivy and I we went through a pretty radical change in our family dynamics. And essentially, what took place was that Ivy was a was a mom that worked from home. Now, she wasn't a stay at home mom. She was a mom. She was really trying to do a semi part full time job as well as raise kids. So she was she was working two jobs essentially, and that's massively difficult. And then she got a new job outside of the home, and I went into the home and took on her role. And I can tell you that for me, that was overwhelming. It was massively overwhelming. I've actually had to shift and change some things in my life and priorities and step down from some things, mainly because I just couldn't keep it all going. I I was getting to the point where I was utterly, utterly fried, and that happened earlier this month, but fortunately, I bounced off, bounce back from that. But the point here is, is that one of the big challenges I had was to potty train my kid, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I don't have no idea what I'm doing. How am I gonna do this?" And you know what I did? So in my prayer cycle, and when I when I talk about a prayer cycle, I literally am talking about a list of things that I pray over every single day. And I've actually taken the because I'm Anglican and we like to write our prayers out, uh, which by the way is completely okay. But I actually wrote my prayer out, and I prayed for this. And my prayer simply was, "Lord, give me wisdom in helping my son Chamblin uh, transition from diapers to underwear. In other words, help me with potty training." It was completely overwhelming to me, and because there's nothing like trying to sit and craft a sermon or write a podcast or do whatever it is that I'm doing, and then all of a sudden you have a diaper bomb explosion, and you have to break from that insanity. Uh, or you have to break from your concentration to deal with a big load of diaper poop, and that's just great. And and for every person out there who does this, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it could just blow all thought out of your brain, and and then you try it. You got to deal with the smell of the kid and all this, and then and then you know complicate matters. Now you're trying to potty train them, and now you're dealing with the the, the disgusting mess that comes. You don't know what I'm talking about. I don't need to go in that. So I prayed, and I prayed for that every single day. Father, give me wisdom on how to transition my son, Chamblin, from diapers to underwear because I was just dreading that. And you know what happened? Let me just tell you what happened. Just through the power of providence and some things that happened, we got Champ enrolled into a a summer program where they actually focused on that. Now, I didn't know that that was going to be a focus when I enrolled him into that program. I just knew that I needed help during the summer so I could keep doing what I'm doing, and then this is what happened. At home, we started reinforcing the things he was learning at school, and it became a magnificent transition. And today, he's doing pretty good. I would say he's about 95% potty trained now. Do you have you ever prayed for something as specific as that? Now, think about that for a moment. Think about that for most. So, so often in our prayers for our kids we don't pray for specific little things like that but my question is why shouldn't we if broken people raise broken people then we need help we need divine intervention on a whole on a whole uh, on a whole host of things right i mean we just do because listen i remember talk to dads and moms here but listen dads and moms you're not perfect stop trying to act perfect all right, and realize you're broken. Your kids are broken. The kids are doing broken things, and so we have to remember that God is there always for us to help us in the things that we're doing. Now, I want to give you a little bit of a biblical principle here that I think comes out of an amazing story. And this is a this is a story out of the Bible. It comes from Matthew, and it comes from Matthew 15, uh, verse 21 through 28. You can also find this in Mark 7. All right. But this is a story about the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman. They're called two different things. It's the same person, all right? Listen to this passage, okay? Because it's a little bit disturbing on one hand, but it's also incredible on the other hand, okay? So here it is. Are you ready? And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. Now, how many times, let me just pause there, a little commentary for just a moment. You know, sometimes we pray to the Lord for an answer to our help, particularly when we're in a desperate situation and we still don't feel like the Lord hears us. This is what's kind of happening here. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she is crying out after us. So this woman apparently knowing that Jesus wasn't responding to her cries, then starts pestering the disciples and the disciples were despondent to her. All right. They were utterly despondent to her. Just send her away. This woman, we don't have time for her. And then verse 24. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep Of the house of Israel. Then verse 25, but she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Now I love this at this point because Jesus is saying, hey, I don't have time to minister to you. I'm ministering to Israel. But this was not Jesus rejecting this woman. I think sometimes that we can read it this way and think that somehow Jesus is just being a total jerk. But actually, what I think here is that he is testing this woman. And he's not testing the woman for the woman's sake, but he's testing the woman for his disciples' sake. Because listen to what happens here, okay? Verse 26, she says, Lord, help me. And he answered, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then verse 27, she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, there's a couple things here that I think are, first of all, so critical. Number one, Jesus wasn't rejecting this woman. What Jesus was doing was that he was saying to his disciples, he was saying, look, true Israel, true Israel can exist outside of ethnic Israel. That's number one. And that's why this is such an important passage. And I want to take a little bit of moment here to reflect on this text because what i don't want you to hear is racism coming out of jesus and i don't want you to hear any kind of um bias against women from jesus what jesus is doing is he's actually demonstrating to his disciples that true israel and true faith will exist outside of ethnic israel now i want you to understand that that is so important So number two, because at this time she's Syrophoenician, she's a Canaanite woman, which is what the text clearly says, and the disciples wanted to have nothing to do with her. They didn't come to her, they didn't come to Jesus and say to Jesus, please help this woman, she's in desperate need of help and you can help her. They came to him and said, get rid of her, get rid of her. And yet because of her persistence to Jesus and her, number two now, her humility, she responds, "Lord, help me." And then verse 28, then Jesus answered her, "O oh woman, great is your faith; be it done for you as you desire." And her daughter was healed instantly. There's a couple things here that I think are important. Number 1 is to recognize that this woman and this situation Jesus used to teach his disciples a very valuable lesson is that true faith can exist outside regardless of ethnic barriers. And that was such a clearly clearly stated idea. But there's a second piece to this which actually relates to our children and to parents. This woman may have never experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ if it had not been for the trial of her daughter. And I think that that's one of the harder things for us as parents to accept at times because sometimes we we get so frustrated with our kids or our circumstances or whatever not realizing that the blessing that's coming out of this is that the need of her child actually drove her to dependency on the Lord Jesus Christ in other words had she not experienced had her daughter never been demon possessed it is highly unlikely that this woman would have ever crossed paths with Jesus, and would have even come to her and submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And so sometimes some of the things, even as simple as potty training, as simple as potty training, is a moment to realize how dependent we really are on the Lord Jesus Christ, on our Lord God. And that the needs that we develop in our lives, the insecurities that we have, the challenges, the problem, the brokenness of our children, those aren't things to despise or be despondent of. What those things should be is a red flag. It actually should be almost like a buoy that says, go to the Lord, go to the Lord. And reflecting on this, I want to suggest something to you that what this ultimately should point out to us is the need for constant prayer. Now, listen to something. This actually came from Bishop J.C. Ryle, and Bishop J.C. Ryle, I'm going to talk to him about in the next segment, but he wrote something that I think is just incredible and something that we should remember. So many of our Lord's miracles were performed in response to the request of others. Wonderful as it may seem, God is pleased to do great things for souls when friends and relations are moved to pray for them. Fathers and mothers are especially bound to remember the Syrophoenician woman. They cannot give their children new hearts. They can give them Christian education and show them the way of life, but they cannot give them a will to choose Christ's service and a mind to love God. Yet there is one thing they can always do. They can pray for them. They can pray even for profligate sons and worldly daughters. Such prayers are heard on high. Such prayers will often bring down blessings. Never, never let us forget that the children for whom many prayers have been offered seldom finally perish. Even when they will not let us speak to them about religion, we can speak to God about them. You know, one of the things that I've often said is that when someone says, I feel like God has forgotten me, I said, you know what? He hasn't. He hasn't forgotten you. And that's something that I think that we, we see here. What is the most important thing that you can do as a dad? Let me suggest something to you. Pray for your kids every single day. Even if you're not good at praying, write out a prayer. That's why I'm Anglican. I'm not that smart. I've got to write my prayers out. And write them out specifically and pray them every single day. Even when you're tired, even when you, do, you it, nothing makes sense to you, Pray and allow the Lord to work. James 5, 16 says this, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another another, that you may be healed, and the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Pray for your kids. Most importantly, pray for their faith. And now for Smitty's Life hack Tip of the Week. And that brings me to my tip of the week. One of the most important things that you can do As you're developing your faith and just trying to really try to uh, give yourself or or engage in personal devotion is I've picked up just recently at the Anglican Connection Conference, I picked up this book called Daily Readings by J.C. Ryle. And uh, the, sub, the subheading is from all four Gospels for morning and evening. Now, you know, as a good Anglican, I'm always trying to uh, insist that people read Anglican resources, but sometimes there are other great resources out there that are not Anglican. I'm thinking of Charles Spurgeon's book, Morning and Evening um, Prayer, and, and that's a great, great resource. But Bishop Ryle is a contemporary of C. of Charles Spurgeon, and he's wrote, he wrote significantly uh, about the, the faith. Uh, he actually writes about the Gospels, and this particular uh, morning and evening devotion uh, comes, uh, it's actually been edited, and it actually comes from his commentary. So here's what I'm recommending. Pick up J.C. Ryle's daily readings. Each of the readings, it's a daily reading, and it's all done by, um, it's all done by, uh, excuse me, by um, dates. So for example, I'm. I, you can turn to today's date, which uh, for me is June 27th, and you can pick it up, and you can read one page. There's a gospel reading that you can read associated with it that gives you the background, and then there's a little meditation thought. And what I love about this is that within about five to 10 minutes, you can get some wisdom straight from Scripture, and you can read through it and just reflect on it. It just gives you enough devotion for the day to chew on. And it can also give you some encouragement. And so whatever you do, For your daily devotions. Now, by the way, I'm always adamant about reading scripture. You should be in scripture every single day. The Bible is, let the Bible do the Bible's work. And I I think that that's a true statement. But I also think you can benefit from other people's devotions. But let's face it, there's a lot of people out there selling devotions and not very many of them are good. This one is good. I love Bishop Ryle's book here. So daily readings by J.C. Ryle, Excellent work. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes. You can go to JonathanGSmith.com forward slash GOF61, and there you'll find uh, an Amazon affiliate link, and you, cl- you click on that. I get a little commission from that, as always, and that helps support the cause here on Grace on Fire. And
1: now it's time for our feature
0: presentation. And I'm talking about how to leverage summertime for personal growth. You know, I hate New Year's resolutions. I hate them. I absolutely hate them. I talk about them because, you know, when the new year rolls around, that's what people start thinking about it. They either think about making them or they think about reasons why not to make them or they reflect on the ones that they've never made or they say to themselves, it's been 25 years since I made my last New Year's resolution, which was never to make New Year's resolutions again. I mean, I hate all that corny stuff. The reason why is because it's it's, personally it's unhelpful. All right. Now I'm going to talk about New Year's resolutions in uh, six months from now because, hey, that's what we're thinking about it. But let me suggest something to you. I th- I am a big big advocate of leveraging the summertime for personal growth for those those life goals. I think the most important life decisions that you can make need to be made in the summertime and not any other time of the year. And it's the reason is is because it's a natural lag in the cycle of our lives. Summertime, you know, for example, when farmers were planting crops uh, in the spring, they would work real hard to. Uh, leverage the crops into, or excuse me, to plant the crops and get all that going. And then summertime rolls around and summertime can be real busy, particularly it can be a busy time. Now, if you're up north, like Alaska, where you only have like three months a year to, to live on, then none of this advice works. So you might want to use the wintertime. But for those of us in the lower 48 who don't have to contend with that, whatever that is, summertime can be a natural lag. And, uh, and I'm really talking about working professionals here as well, because, you know, if you're a working professional in the corporate world, that first six months of the year, that particularly that time in January, you are trying to hit the ground running and you're going as fast as you can. And that is not the time to be reflective and to think about your life. It's just simply not the time to do it. You need to be focused on execution. So if you're going to be focused on execution in January, the question that I have for you is what are you executing? And that's the power of summertime, because in the summertime it's hot. Usually it's hot in Florida. It's hot. You may be in a beautiful area up north somewhere where it's it's warm, but it's wonderful, and you're frolicking, etc. Um, but for those of us where we're working, it's hot, and everything just sort of slows down. There's not as much pressure financially. Um, you're, you're you're recalibrating everything, etc. In in the Tendency, I think, is to waste summertime away. In other words, you're just turning your brain off and you're not thinking. But as if you really, if you remember back to the early part of my show here, what I was talking about was I was talking about how summertime can become those natural bookends to your work where you're looking at fall, winter, and spring as that time where you're you're gonna be most productive. And so what if you put together an annual plan that meant that re- where you were looking at from June 30th, say July 1 to June 30th, as your fiscal year of your life? All right? In other words, you're looking you're not measuring your life in terms of, and of, in terms of years, 2016, 17, et cetera, in terms of January, but you're looking at your, your life in terms of June. And the reason why I think there's some advantages to that is because, like I said, our natural cycles, our natural rhythms, in particularly here in North America, is to slow down in summer and ramp up in the fall, get super busy in winter, and then in spring, and then you're beginning to gradually decline. And it's in the low points where I think that we need to spend as much time as possible on focusing on personal growth if you want a bikini body chances are you need to start thinking about your bikini body next summer not this summer because you're not going to accomplish anything great this summer you're just not going to do it and um and i think that there's a reason why and, it, and this is why i'm talking about this okay for example let's just say you want to make a career change you're looking at your present circumstances and you're saying I have got to change this situation. This isn't going to work. When do you make that decision? Don't make that decision significantly in the middle of spring, although that happens. And sometimes you just have to take advantage of opportunities. And, and I'm you, you know, when an opportunity comes along like that, you need to have things in order to be able to capitalize on it. Sometimes we don't. But if you're thinking about making a career change, when is the best time to make a career change? Well, very often, it's January, right? But you need to set some things in motion probably six months ahead of time, including a transition plan, including some things that you may wanna consider and think through in order to make that change. And when I've done things like that, I gotta tell you, my life has gone a whole lot smoother. So that's what I'm talking about. I think there's a fundamental principle here that's helpful, and this is it. This is the principle. We grossly underestimate how long it takes to complete projects, achieve goals, etc. Time is a resource that is only given to us in 24-hour increments. It's not given to us in entire years. It's not given to us... Uh, It's not even given us in full days, really. It's given to us hourly. And what we do within a single hour of time, always, and let me just say it this way, that is generally speaking is what's going to propel us from year to year to year. And I've seen this in my life. And and, and that's why I've talked about in the past, I've talked about the power of incremental change. And that is to say that whatever you're doing incrementally, is typically going to yield the result down the road, all right? But what we fail to realize is just how long it generally takes to to reach those goals. And so that's why if you do something in January, and I'm not, you know, let me just say something. I'm not dogging New Year goals. If you set a New Year's goal in January, my question to you is how are you doing right now? And the answer is if you're not doing great, then what you ought to do right in this second is take advantage of this lag time in order to hit that goal of whatever it is, all right? That's what I'm saying. This is the time. This is the moment for you to pause whatever it is that you're doing. Take a break. If you're wanting to start an exercise routine, now is the time to do it. Because if you do it in fall, guess what? Again, you're back to school. Work it starts to ramp up. Then all the different little things that you have to do it starts ramping up. And then chances are you're going to go through a full year and go, oh, I didn't accomplish anything at all. And that's why I'm a big believer that summertime is important. All right? So that's that's just some advice here. So what you ought to do here, and I'm just giving you a suggestion here. Remember, an ought, you know, there's an ought, and an ought Is something ethical, some kind of ethical obligation. Let me suggest that this isn't an ethical obligation, but it is a a really good suggestion. Take this moment, take a week off, take some time if you can, take a few days, get with yourself, get with a sheet of paper. doesn't have to be, it can be a spiral bound uh, notebook. I use a spiral bound notebook for almost everything that I do, all right? That's how I manage my life. Uh, Well, I have all the other tools and, and I've talked about the different gadgets and things that I use, but sometimes just a sheet of paper and write out these goals that you want to accomplish and then measure them not from the end of the year, but at the beginning of next summer. Because I want to suggest that if you measure from beginnings to beginnings, beginnings to beginnings, that that's where you can begin to see the growth of what you're looking for. So go out, buy all the great project management stuff, goal setting stuff, your personal organizing, whatever. But take some time and to think about the things that you want to accomplish in this life. And that brings us to the end of our show. And it also brings us to the end of this season. So remember, I will be back with you in seven weeks for a brand new season of Grace on Fire. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace on Fire,
1: a Verve Creative Production. For show notes, updates, and more, visit JonathanGSmith.com slash Grace on Fire.